No. So, good morning to you all. Um, I'm morning. Um, hopefully most of you in this room know that it's Ali and I's first week as your shiny new site pastors. So, and actually, instead of giving us a round of applause, what I'd like you to do is give the team that we're on this morning a round of applause because it was very sticky and a bit, yeah, a bit of chaos. So a round of applause for the team that set this up. We really appreciate you and um, thank you for being gracious. So yeah. Um, so an exciting morning. Um, we are going to be in Mark again and we're figuring out who the real Jesus is. And so this morning I'm going to pray and then we'll get going. So dear Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that you, you prepare our hearts to hear what you want us to don't let them be my words, as Christine said. Let them be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning and you'd like one, then pop your hand up and some glamorous assistants will hand them out. Oh, one over here, please, guys. That would be amazing. And if you've not got a Bible at home, then please take this home as a gift. It's for you. And, yeah, maybe read it even. <laughs> so, this morning... We're in Mark 8, I think. <laughs> My brain's a bit muddled. And um, it's quite a moment for the disciples, and I wonder if it could be quite a moment for us. It feels like a turning point for them, and so potentially it could be a turning point for us as well. It's a passage about love, and um, don't worry, it's not a fluffy, gushy, rainbows and unicorns kind of a love. Yeah, John, no, it's okay. It's... it's <laughs> It's not that kind of love. Um, it's not soft and easy. It's quite a challenging one. It's messy, challenging, and life-changing, and definitely sacrificial. So it's a love that creates new life. The cost that Jesus paid by dying on the cross and being separated from God, defeating death and coming back to life, it's not ensuring us an easy ride in life. I don't know if that's news to you or not, um, but it's absolutely securing a eternity. So what are the implications now, though? This passage is just going to give us a bit of insight into that. There's still some things that Jesus would like us to do to live out our way here while we're waiting for that eternity. And is there a cost? What have we got to lose? Oh, look, my PowerPoint worked today. <laughs> That's nice. So I'm going to read from chapter 8, 31. It says, it'll come up on the screen as well. Oh, tiny. Sorry, guys. Never mind. <laughs> Maybe you can read it in front of you. It's quite small. I'll know that for next time. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. 
And he said to them, Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God, kingdom of God has come with power. So there it is, a tricky one. Um, I battled with this a bit as I was preparing to do a sermon on it. I thought, right, hold on a second. We have been taught of unconditional love. We've been taught that it's free and there's nothing else to do, really. Um, but let me reassure you, there is nothing that you can do or say, or I can do or say, that can take away your eternity with God. If you've said yes to Jesus, that is secure. But we are definitely... Jesus has been clear on some of the things that we can do while we're here. He wants us to become truly alive and be truly living. So let's see if by the end of the today, we can answer the question, what is the cost for me? What is the cost for me? So the story so far, as James brought to us last week, was that Peter, all of a sudden, he's had a revelation of who Jesus really is, or we think so anyway, the Messiah. And he's been commended for getting the right answer when asked, who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. So I'm just going to pause for a second. I was just thinking about this word a wee bit, and um, I looked it up, and apparently the scholars say, those super smart people say, there are more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. I can't quite get my head around that. Um, I'm just going to start listing them off now. Are you ready? It's a joke. But there is this one. So Isaiah 53, it said, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed we are all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all so the word messiah it was used to describe the son of god but also a human leader physically descended from the line of david and he was going to bring a new world but we'd have to suffer and die in the process there was no other choice. And so the penny has dropped for Peter. Has it? Has it? Really? I'm not quite sure. We think it has. He's not just a teacher, not just a blessed guy, not gifted by God, not a prophet, not just those things, but actually the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies over hundreds of years. He's got it. But then what happens next shows us, as often happens in the Bible, a reassuringly human response his expectation has been changed. He omitted that hard bit. He's forgotten the tough stuff from the prophecy that the Messiah had to suffer and die. So it's a change, a change of expectations. And a word I'm sure we all have interesting feelings around. Um, I don't know how the disciples were feeling. A change to expectation. I am particularly bad at this. People who, who know me will tell you, if you change the goalposts, I take a bit of adjusting. But I am working on it. So um, I played hockey as a child. And we were an okay wee team, um, the second team, nothing too fancy. I'm, I mean, I could have been in the first, so I'm, I'm not bitter much at all, you know. But um, from time to time, well, okay, maybe once, we came across a team from a tiny little school, and uh, we were having a great day. We were absolutely thrashing them at hockey. We were scoring loads of goals. In fact, I think I even scored, which is unheard of. I was at the back in defense. Um, so it was good. We were loving it. Um, but it was painful for them. And um, by the time the halftime talk came, we were really winning. And so the coach got us in a huddle, and we were all expecting the, well done, guys, this is what you've trained for, you're winning, you've got it, keep going, keep scoring more goals, whoop, whoop, go team. However, as we were sucking on our orange halves, not sure they do that anymore, it's all ISO drinks and stuff, isn't it? But anyway, 
he got in a, a quieter voice and said, take it easy on them. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> Hold on a second. This is not what we've been taught. Surely we've been taught to win. And I don't know about you. As an adult, I struggle with selflessness, and I certainly struggle with losing. Um, so as a child, this was quite tricky. But I, we did take it a little bit easy on them. I think we still scored far too many goals. Uh, and if I ever see my own kids being beaten like this, I'm like, oh, no, this is awful. I please let somebody be giving them a halftime talk. It might be confusing and challenging for them, but please, coach, do that. Do that little talk for me. So this is the disciples' halftime talk. And it also happens to be about midway through the book of Mark. It's confusing for them, although, to be honest, quite kind, really. Imagine there was no warning whatsoever. Um, but they're not in the seconds, the disciples. They are in the firsts, undoubtedly, in the winning team, and they're on a winning streak. They are just loving life. The passages before show us that they could face anything with Jesus by their side. They could bring people back to life. They could feed thousands. They could love the unlovable. Demons were fleeing. Love of, you know, ch uh, changes were happening to culture and religion right before their very eyes. It was all happening. The wake behind them was the kingdom of God on earth. And I wonder if they just assumed they were going to keep on doing that. I don't know what they were thinking. I wonder. They'd forgotten the tough bit. But thankfully for us, there's a new way. There was no smiting or flooding. Phew. Jesus brought a new way for us. And so Peter, only just having realized that Jesus is the Messiah and Savior of the world, he's had to change his expectation. He's like, oh yeah, that hard bit. But because of the way Peter replied in that previous passage, his understanding of Jesus and who he was, Jesus is suddenly changing how he's speaking to them as well. It says that he spoke to them plainly. He's saying, no parables, no stories. Here it is, lads. Are you ready for it? I think he thought they were ready for it, that they could handle it now, this new way of teaching, this new hard truth. But put yourself in their shoes. It often helps me, and I usually end up coming up with the same human response. They've been hanging out with Jesus for nearly three years and all you've seen is victory after victory. It's like being asked to throw in the towel. How could we be winning? How could this be winning? How could losing be winning? How could dying be winning? They thought they'd got it, but they didn't want it this way. How often do we get it, but still not really want it God's way? But they didn't have the full picture, of course, or the whole perspective of God. They couldn't see that they would win the league. Well, league's an understatement, of course. They couldn't see that Jesus dying was the biggest victory of all. They were going on their humanly perspective, which is tiny and limited, I think, compared to God. And I guess that's why Peter got it one minute and not the next. Are we like that at times? I am. We struggle to follow his plan because it feels or seems like a loss. We feel like we're on fire for God one, one minute and then possibly a bit tepid or scared the next. There's situations that catch me off, off guard often where I've missed that moment to share what Jesus has done in my life. And I kick myself about that. We get it one minute and then not the next sometimes. So Peter didn't want it to go this way. Certainly didn't feel like winning for him. 
and the very nature of our human condition is to survive, to win survival of the fittest. This is where our innate selfishness kicks in in all its glory, I think. And indeed, Peter and his disciples would have had to face the very real reality that if Jesus could be killed and crucified and rejected, then so could they. And I'm sure they were genuinely heartbroken that this Jesus that they've come to know and love and been spending time with is going to have to face that. But I'm sure also that they were thinking of their own risk. And I think you might agree when we look around the world just now in all its beauty and misery and iniquity and imperfection, it's wonderful and awful all at once, isn't it? And the pr promotion of self is quite a big thing, I think. And an opposite message appears here from the world that says, put yourself first. This is not what it's saying here. Have you come across anybody else saying, oh yes, this year I'm going to find myself. I'm like, really? Where? Whereabouts? Usually around the age of 40. Not looking at you, Al. It's fine. <laughs> and so I went online and asked the world through Google um, what, how to find myself. Um, there was a, a heap of information and advice, some quite good, um, but some quite I find saddening personally. And my top three most sad were accept everything, be selfish, rely on yourself. And as I said, there were some other sound pieces of advice, but very few of them were in line with this message. Very few were in line with Jesus' message of love your neighbor as yourself, lose yourself, deny yourself. And he's not saying, look after number one, seek out what makes you happy, you need this in your life, then you'll be sorted. He's not saying that. And he's, nor is he saying that you don't matter or not to look after yourself. We've seen throughout this whole gospel a Jesus who cares for people and loves them and wants the absolute best for them. I'm not saying you don't matter. You matter. You matter so much that God sent his only son to die for you. That's how much you matter. And when you say yes to Jesus, the difference is that the Holy Spirit will make you want to give your all for him. So are you? Oh, the challenge. <laughs> so before I was a Christian, I was in a pretty awful relationship, emotionally abusive, and I was going un along unhappily with the culture and age and stage, drinking, and I was being pretty self-destructive, if I'm honest. I felt stuck and trapped. I was losing, and wow, I needed a half-time talk. And when I finally did learn of what Jesus had done for me, and finally admitted that I believed in him, I was terrified of the implications. And it was my selfishness, it was me going, first of all, I'm going to have to admit that I was wrong all this time. Oh, I'm not good at that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong often, it's fine. But secondly, the thoughts of a new kind of lifestyle that I was maybe going to have to take up. I thought I was going to be really miserable. It sounded awful, dull, horrendous. But actually, even though I was in this unhealthy place and losing me, in fact, there, my selfishness still didn't want me to take on this new lifestyle that was going to be so much better for me. But what does happen again is that the Holy Spirit comes in and changes how you feel about these things. He helps you turn. It's not something you have to do on your own at all. It does just happen. He changes you. Everything in you wants to do what you're asked by Jesus. 
And in this challenging passage, it is to die to self. Interesting. Therefore, it says, if anyone in Christ is new, sorry, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The new is here. And when we make a covenant, an agreement with Jesus like this, we have an internal, eternal communion, internal, eternal relationship with our Father God. And I think every fiber of us wants to do what is good and loving in the Father's eyes. Every single bit of us. And I am not claiming that that is what we manage. We certainly do not. But we know the truth of what that is, what that looks like, how to love, how he's asking us to love, how he's asking us to live. And what happened to me, and I hope all who come to believe in Jesus, when in him coming back to life and leaving his Holy Spirit, is that it is the Holy Spirit that does the convincing for us. The Holy Spirit does the changing, but we have to do the choosing. We have to choose every day to take the harder choice. I could have bumbled along quite nicely in my non-Christian life. All of my days maybe been okay. I doubt it, actually. I think it might have been pretty tough. And um, this moment makes me think of the Matrix movie, and I'm not getting into any theological meaning of it. I know there's arguments over its meaning, but don't worry about that. It's a movie. I'm just taking the simple meaning. And um, there's a moment, if you don't know it, where basically they are living in a dream world. Um, The life that we see out here is a dream world. And when they figure that out and they come out of that, they wake up. And for me, becoming a Christian was like that. It was like waking up. I could have bumbled along in my life, but I think I would have been asleep pretty much. I would have been awake. I'm only awake now. And so I wonder what you think it is that makes us different. I've got loads of friends and family who are loving and selfless, it seems, definitely, and kind. So how am I different to them? How are we different to them? And in small groups, we're studying a book called Everyday Supernatural. It's this one here, just to wave around. And if you're not in a small group, then I'd recommend that you speak to Ali or I about that. There are places of pastoral support, love, care, and loads of fun. I absolutely promise it, and we can point you in the right direction of that. But in this book, the suggestion of how we are different in this world comes from Exodus 33, 15, and 16, where Moses says, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? His presence. And the quote from the book also is that Moses knew that Israel could have the best military, the best economy, the best football team, but all that would be worthless if they didn't have God's presence. Just as this was true for Moses and Israel, it's true for us today. What really distinguishes us is that we are a people of God's presence. It's never been about what we can do. It's about who we are with. I love that. It is God's presence that makes us different in the world. The disciples could have gone on winning, but they would have missed the point. Jesus came to enable us to have this relationship with God. And the only way that that was going to happen was to fulfill those prophecies. He had to die. He had to make the way for us. Now, there's a wee story. So Ali is my husband here, and uh, one night we were in bed about to fall asleep. In fact, Ali was probably twitching and snoring already. He's very good at that. And um, lightly snoring, sorry, lightly snoring. And I um, was lying there, taking a bit longer to get to fall asleep, as I do. 
and all of a sudden I heard the noise. Bang! Did I wake you up? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming again in a minute, just to warn you. And um, oh, what was that? I'm not quite sure what that was. Just lay there and ignored it for a minute. A minute or two passed, and then bang! Yes, sorry, Fee. <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's windy. Ah, this side gate's been left open. Who did that, by the way? Wasn't me, just saying. <laughs> but anyway, I um, so what I don't do is woman up and get my dressing gown on and my slippers on and go outside into the cold wind, lock the gate, come back to bed and try and go back to sleep. What I do is probably what I maybe call the wifely thing. It's not a one-off in our house. And um, I say, Allie, Allie, are you asleep? <laughs> oh, the snoring was a clue, but anyway. Bit of a grunt and um, silence. The side gate's open, Ali. It might keep our neighbours up. <laughs> silence. And without comment, without complaint, he gets up out of his bed without putting his dressing gown and slippers on and out into the wind, locks the gate, comes back in, still without comment, and tries to get back to sleep very quickly. But what a man, what a guy, he is my hero. How amazing is that? Swoon. <laughs> and that is a tiny and silly example of sacrificial love. That was a sacrifice that he had to make. He had cold feet. There was a cost. He had to get back to sleep again, however easy that is. But my point is that there's a cost to sacrificial love. We feel it. The choice we make as Christians is not convenient or comfortable. It's not. It's really not. Giving birth to new life is not easy or painless or even clean. It's messy, it's painful, but it's the best result in the whole world. I think you might agree. New life. New life. I think it's a common misconception, perhaps, as when we become Christians, that life's going to be cushy. Everything's going to work out. We're going to be problem-free, free from bad habits. Or you are free from bad habits, right? Free from weaknesses, life is easier. And we spend every moment upbeat. Hey, diddly do, neighbor. Oh, anyone get that one? All right. <laughs> it's a subtle one. Sorry, it's a Simpsons thing. And um, I think if you, you'd also agree, if I asked every single person in this room, they would agree it is not like that. But Jesus did not come and die for us and rise again for us so that we could have an easy life. He came that so we could have an eternal life. But he faces it with us. That's what the thing is. That's the good bit here. The kingdom is not complete here on earth, so we've got to keep going. Keep choosing Jesus. Keep choosing the risky way, sometimes the harder way. Even if the cost is friends. Ali and I know this quite acutely. When we announced our faith, a lot of friends couldn't quite face the new versions of us for some reason. And so they're no longer in our life. And that hurts. We feel it. It's a price, but we're willing to pay it. Our time, the hours that you guys, that we pour in in service and love, we see the cost that you pay and we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a cost. Finances, the things that maybe we can't quite afford because of how we choose to give. There should be a sacrifice and we should feel it. Our reputation. Oh, 
they're thought of as the happy, clappy Christians. They've lost it. Think it's some color or something. Oh, that's horrible, isn't it? That really does hurt. Having to stand up against popular opinion and say, no, I don't agree. Again, that's really hard. To be disliked. We really all want to be liked, don't we? So it hurts. And I know I say these things out loud, and they don't sound that bad. They're not that bad. They're not. We don't face persecution or death in this country like the disciples would or like other people in this world do. But it still is real for us. Our choices bear a cost. They imply a sacrifice. So what was Jesus asking the disciples to do? What is he asking us to do? He's asking them to live it out as he had to. Live it out. As Jesus did in that moment, it said in the passage, But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. He had to turn away from that temptation. Peter had just been praised for recognizing who he truly was. But now he's been told, get behind me, Satan. We're like that. Now you see it, now you don't. So Jesus turned. It could have been easy for him to say, oh, do you know what, Peter? I really don't want to do it either. I really don't. We're having a great time. We're on top of the world. We are winning after winning. I'm in my happy place. This is good for me. This is really good for me. I'm going to stay here. But thankfully for us, he didn't. He turned. So turn away. Turn away from whatever it is that's getting in the way of you and God. I could give you a big list of possibilities. I'm not going to. You'll be glad to know. Because that is not between me and you. That is between you and God. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit highlight to you what those things are this morning. I'm sure he will. Bring it into the light and turn away. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to change us. So I'm going to send you probably away with more questions than answers, potentially, but I hope a challenge. Do you need a halftime talk, a game changer? What's God saying to you this morning in your halftime talk? And if you're in the room and you've not quite made those steps of saying yes to Jesus, yes, Jesus, you're the way, my challenge is to say yes and see what happens. But it's not a stroll in the park you're signing up for. It's a risky adventure. There's definitely a cost. But it's not a false economy that we end up, we keep paying into and it doesn't pay out. It's the smartest investment you'll make. The outcome of that cost is new life, and I promise you it's worth it. Say yes to the adventure. Brownie Brown, although actually I'm not sure if that's how you say her name, maybe somebody else knows. Um, She's a a speaker and writer, and she's got this fantastic quote that I love. It's a bit graphic. Sorry, guys. Faith is not an epidural that takes the pain away. It's a midwife attending next to you that's asking you to push. It's supposed to hurt a bit. How is that better than any other person who believes? Because it's God is saying, I'll sit in it with you. You are not alone in it. So if you're fed up or facing life and the hard stuff alone, say yes, I lose my life to you, Jesus, so that you can save it. And people don't need to look on our lives and see perfection because we can't show them that. But we can show them how we face stuff with a God who loves us dearly right by our side through it all on our side against everything. 
And if you're already in a relationship with Jesus, however long or short it's been, let today be a turning point for you. The transition. We're in a transition as a church here in Lawrence Kirk, and we know it comes with all sorts of pain and mess and challenge. But what we hope it brings is new life. We want City Church Lawrence Kirk to be a place where people come alive in Jesus. And we think that starts in this room, though, with every single one of you. How alive are you feeling in Jesus this morning? Are you risking it for him? It's not a gamble, though. The outcome is secured. And I can't tell you what risking it for him looks like. But I know that you will find yourself in him without the self-help books or the seven-step plan. You'll be given new life. So it might be that you need to choose today to turn away from something. And we'd love to stand with you in prayer today so that the Holy Spirit can help you make that change. It's not us, it's not you that even can make that change. You can choose it, but the Holy Spirit will help you. Or it might be that you shy away from talking about Jesus while you're out and about of these rooms, these walls. You want to be bolder in him. Then let's pray for that too. Or it might be, and I feel like there might be a few people in the room, I wondered, that don't feel alive at all. And you're not sure why. So let's bring it to Jesus. You'd like to know the presence of God tangibly in your life so that you are different. Then let's pray for that. Let's offer our whole selves to him today and see what new life comes from it. Let's stand.